0: By the time I reach his side, three more helicopters have flown overhead and my anxiety has gone through the roof. All of the aerial activity is focused on one spot across the spit of the ocean. The copters circle overhead like vultures and the distant whine of their beating blades reminds me a little too much of war in the Middle East. As if it knows it, my body reacts without thought. My muscles go loose and wired, ready for action at a moment's notice. I pick up shreds of conversation from the crowd milling around the gathering of cops. All of my senses are on hyper-alert, so when my phone goes off again, my heart threatens to jump out of my chest. I turn to Tyler, who is still looking at me with a solemn expression on his worn features. For the first time since I've known him, he looks every day of his fifty years. What's going on? He takes a moment to answer, then puts his hand on my shoulder. Tyler's a great guy, a good friend, but he's not the type for physical affection between men. It's the fairy, he says. Then my phone rings again. You should answer your phone. My brows furrow as I try to puzzle out what one has to do with the other. I swipe a thumb over the unlock indicator and fifteen missed calls from Taylor appear on the screen. I open the voicemail and find a dozen or so messages blinking for my attention. They all last for a couple seconds at most. Damn if my finger doesn't tremble when I swipe over the first message and hit play. I raise the phone to my ears and all of the outside noise seems to fade away as the message plays. Out of all the horrors I've witnessed and the atrocities I've committed, there has never been anything more terrifying in my life than the moment my daughter's voice screams Daddy in my ear.
1: Chloe. The gunman directs the rest of us in line to get on the boat before we attract too much attention. He points the gun in each person's face, and based on his own expression, he won't hesitate to use it at the first sign of reluctance. The dock isn't empty— There are people milling about everywhere, people getting on and off their own boats and distant slips, official-looking attendants checking new patrons in and out. Any of them could be a potential rescuer, but if I call out, what will happen? I'll get shot, or they will, and then there will be more innocent people in danger. The little girl will still be way too damn close to a deadly weapon, or worse, I don't want to speculate about the possibilities, but it's hard not to. Before I have another panic-stricken moment to think, the woman and her daughter reach the man with the gun. The girl is crying, and when it's her turn to board the ferry, she freezes, her little pink tennis shoes clinging to the dock, and her small frame shaking. Her mother ferrets away the little phone behind her back as they get closer. Her daughter whimpers shaking so hard I can hear her teeth clack together. Sweetie, her mother says with a tone of desperation, come on, Emily. She tries to stay calm, tries to keep her emotions reined in, but her voice breaks mid-sentence and her own tears slip down her cheeks. No, Mommy, I don't want to, she says. I want Daddy. She clutches the little wolf like a lifeline, and my heart twists inside my chest. Daddy! The little girl cries. Her mother's face drains of all remaining color, but she manages to slip her phone into her pocket before bringing her trembling hands in front of her. He says nothing, but his silence is enough. Like a dark, ominous storm cloud, he hovers over the trembling child and gestures with the gun for them to get a move on. My hands are clammy, and I can't get rid of the moisture collecting on my palms, even when I rub them against my dress. I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't want the gun to jerk in my direction. I learn a lot about myself in the following seconds, as I'm sure many do when confronted with life or death situations.